How many binge watchers are in here, and you will admit it, I am one of those. There are many times that I am tired because I am 55 now, and I wake up in the night, or something stresses me out or whatever. There are times that I have not revealed to anyone, only God knows, that it's because I just binged watched 14 seasons of Deadliest Catch. Anybody doing that? Man, you go into work, you're like, I'm so tired today. Man, I mean, what's going on? You try to make it, spin it really good. I, I do that. And uh, you spin it real, man, I don't, the Lord kept me up last night. It was just really tough. Because you've been binge watching. Uh, and this is the season, man. If you're a binge watcher and you don't have like a DVR or Netflix or whatever, because binge watching in the day was you got to have it recorded, right? And you got to do all this stuff back in the day. You know, the days when we walk through the snow and, the, you know, all this stuff. But this, this nowadays is so easy because you can, you know, go into the season especially and it's marathons. Andy Griffith, you know that one? So there'll be a, there's a marathon. Some people know what that is. Yeah. Friends, The Office. I'm trying to get everybody a little bit, right? <laughs> Fixer Upper, do you like that show? Gilmore Girls, come on. All right. And then, of course, some of you are, uh, I always want to say Downtown Abbey. You'd probably be mad at me now, aren't you? Yeah. So, oh, sorry. It's Downton, isn't it, or something like that? Whatever. Okay. And uh, a lot of you are keeping up with the Kardashians probably too, huh? <laughs> uh, if you really are into it, I heard some stories uh, and some f potential family fights on what they were going to do and binge watch for, uh, for um, Thanksgiving. Like, we're going we're gonna to go Lord of the Rings trilogy. Do you know the extended version of that is over 12 hours long? <laughs> Did anybody do that? Like, you, if you're serious about that, you even watch, there is like a fan club credit. Like, you actually will watch... It said, I was reading about this, uh, the credits of everybody who's in the fan club to the music. And they try to say that's cool because the music behind it's really cool. And I'm like, no, it's a list of people's names that have paid a lot of money to be in the fan club for Lord of the Rings, all right? 12 hours. But, this is for my friend, Star Wars. Over 22 hours you can spend if you watch all the Star Wars movies, and I'm not counting this cartoon stuff or whatever, you know. Um, but if you're a kid, is this, is this, I was reading, that your kids could spend 63 hours binge watching Paw Patrol. Do you know that one? <laughs> I figured grandparents and parents, is that still relevant? Paw Patrol? Okay, I heard some parents talking about it. 63 hours, like if your kids are like, yay, and you're like, oh, and, but some of you parents are like, yes, you can. I'll see you in three days or whatever, right? <laughs> and you leave them at home. Television, put some food in the dish and water, and you take off. I, I'm sure some of you probably do that, right? It's sad. At the men's group, uh, our men's group's getting more comfortable, and I think they were saying something about me when I went to the bathroom and came back because when I came back, I asked Brandon, 
one of our guys in the group, I said, so what'd you, this is like, and you are, a lot of you know this about me. What did you, uh, what did you cook for Thanksgiving? Because he's been barbecuing a lot and I want to hear it. So tell me in a very low, slow voice, tell me about like your, (laughs) the barbecue that you made, right? And he goes, I didn't cook anything. Sick of it or whatever he said. I'm like, what? What's wrong with you? So I, because I like hearing it. Tell me about it. I like hearing the story of how you prepped it, cooked it. What did it taste like? And I'll, I could spend a binge, I could binge that for 12 hours. So I thought about an app. Like there's a barbecue place back in Austin, Texas called Franklin. And I watched some shows about it. And when you, t- I watched the show and they talk about it and they say, we cooked these briskets for like, you know, 400 hours. That's what it felt like. And then every 30 minutes, like somebody's up 24-7. Every 30 minutes, they're basting it with apple juice and love and just, you know, putting it on there. And I thought, what a great app to binge watch for me is just literally, I'd sit in a chair and watch those briskets just go around like this (laughs) for like 12 hours because I like the story behind it all. When we binge watch, it's, well, I don't know about everybody, but I'll even... Once you start something, I got to know now, what happened to them? Did they die? Did they get rescued? What? And so you watch it, and afterwards, you're like, that was the stupidest series I've ever seen, (laughs) right? And uh, we've been talking about the story of God. We've kind of binged watched it in a very simple way. We've talked about creation, that God created something just as he intended it to be originally. But we talked about how uh, right out of the gate, because of sin, that relationship was broken. What he intended it to be, sin came in and broke that. And there's a lot behind that, but that's the simplicity of it. There was disconnection, broken relationship. So God, in his mercy and grace, right out of the gate, created a covenant. Chapter 3, Genesis, we already see that he is already in, you know, fixer-upper mode. He's, He's back. So he creates, we looked at these covenants, things that were promises based upon his integrity and things that would carry on through the whole story of God. So we always look back to his covenants. What he said, he will do because he promised it. And he's proven himself in that. And one of the things that we talked about over the following weeks was ways that he would remind people of their covenants. Remind people, we'll say this again later, of the story of God, and he would do that through priests, prophets, and kings. So throughout Scripture, especially what we say Old Testament, I think Old, New, we should just say the Scriptures, but but for the sake of conversation, we see, especially in that Old Testament, we see uh, priests, we see kings, and we see prophets, these men and women that were kind of in between standing up um, for God or representing us to God. People like kings that were supposed to be the example of God to the people as they led. But because we're imperfect, it never worked. God would use create through his prophets to remind people of the covenant that he made. It was not just to be crazy or weird or strange. It was It was to remind people of the covenant that he made. We see the completion of that when we talked about, Brent talked about Jesus. And he said that Jesus, and we learn this, comes and he is the perfect 
prophet, priest, and king. He fulfills everything. He is the fulfillment of all the covenants. As we look at the story of God, this deeper level of it, we see that Jesus comes and fulfills everything. He's not just somebody that came to earth, but his death was a fulfillment of covenant, right? His rebirth, his resurrection, covenant. God said this, he would do it. And he recovered for us what had been destroyed. And in that, there's a lot more to it. Um, But then we see out of that, Jesus leaves earth, gives us the Holy Spirit. And uh, Charles, while I was gone, heard that he did great. And and, uh, he talked about, we're now commissioned. We're going to talk about that a little bit again today. But we are commissioned then to go and share this story. Not be the perfect prophet, priest, and king, but we have elements of that. There's a lot more to that as well that as we go along in church, we'll learn. But wow, now we're to carry that, the story of God into the lives of people. We are commissioned by God to do this, and he gives us the power and strength to do it. And then we'll talk today kind of that re-part, a re-beginning, a rebirth, a renewal where this conquering King Jesus using us is going to return and establish his kingdom. We already see glimpses of it now and recreate, reconnect, reestablish power and authority, renew, complete the restoration of creation as God intended it to be. That's the end of the story, but really the beginning of the story again. It's not an end. In a sense, it's a re-beginning. Let's look real quick um, at some elements of the story in some simplified forms. Just real briefly, maybe this will help, maybe not. But one of them, um, I'm reading a book called The Story of Reality by Greg Kolkel. And he put this in one sentence. Many have done this, some better, some worse. This is just a good one, and it happened to be something I was reading. Highly recommended book. God, the creator of the universe... This is the Bible in one, the story in one sentence, one giant sentence. God, the creator of the universe, in order to rescue man from punishment for his rebellion, took on humanity in Jesus, the Savior, to die on a cross, rise from the dead, so that in the final resurrection, we could enjoy a wonderful friendship with our sovereign Lord. In the kind of perfect world, I like this, our hearts have always yearned for. Leave that up for a minute, Rodney. Just if somebody wanted to try to get some concepts down real quick, leave it up there and think about that. Big words in there, lots of stuff going on in there. But the simplicity is, I think that humanity in general, even if they don't recognize it, yearns for something bigger than themselves. We want to be part of a bigger story. We want to know that we have meaning and purpose. And so we see that humanity yearns for that. It's one of the open doors that we have if we live to God's standards and do it even in our imperfection, you know, in grace and love. We have an opportunity to share this story. Whether they believe it or not, that's their decision, and they being the lost that don't know the story. But we have an opportunity because it seems that humanity is longing and yearning for something bigger. Now, Christians should come in and go, we have an answer for that. I don't think we do that real well. Very general, big, broad statement. But man, we even have a way out, in a sense, 
to go, yes, we are imperfect, we fail, but here's Jesus. There's a lot to that. But it seems that humanity has a longing and a yearning. We have an answer. It seems like we've complicated things. But I'm learning that with you as well. So I like that. That's a good summarization of the story of God, at least the big concept of it. I just read this week. Um, I have not read his book on Jonah, and I, uh, there's an Advent book that he did, and he's a well-known pastor. Um, it's a guy named Paul Tripp. Some of you may know him. Some of you might not. Paul Tripp, one of the things I read to talk about the story of God for a minute, he took down and said, here's the story of God in two words. And many have done this. Many have put one word to it. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, he used Jonah 3, 1 as his two words. Let me read the line and point out the two words. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah, and here it is, a second time. And he said that one of the things that, that kind of encompasses the whole story of God is these two words. In it, he says, a second time. Second time. Jonah failed the first time, ran away from God, but God came and spoke to him a second time. I think that's the story of God in a lot of ways for humanity. You have, I even don't like the word second sometimes to it, but you have another chance. This week, you came, maybe not all of you, and you failed like I did. In some form in your life, you blew it. You did not live up to God's standard. Pretty much a high percentage of us, <laughs> right? Don't raise your hand if you go, nope, I did it perfectly this week, okay? Because then we'll have to speak to your pride. <laughs> Maybe you did or didn't, but um, if you did and you felt like, like a lot of us, it's too far. I've done too much. That phrase right there, a second time, is the story of God for you. And then it encompasses why. Why can I say that? Here's my one word for the story of God. Obviously a lot behind it, and that is Jesus. If I was gonna summarize the the, the Bible in one word, there's a lot more words that you can use and you could probably email them to me and come up with it. But behind that one word is everything to me, Jesus. Encompasses the good, bad, and ugly of life, what I was, what I am, and what I wanna be. That second time only happens because of what Jesus has done for us. So the story of God we've looked at is important to know important to embrace, important to consider. And so we come kind of to the end, but as I said, it's kind of a re-beginning, all right? So we're gonna look in some, at some spots in the book of Revelation. And I wanna talk just very briefly about what was, what is, and what will be. The end talks about that. So when we read the book of Revelation, when you read it, it's straight, strange, it's crazy, it's hard to understand, it can be kind of weird, doesn't make sense at times. But I want you to think about it from what was, is, and will be. The book of Revelation doesn't always speak about just the end. So sometimes we look at it and we go, this is what it's going to be like at the end of time, at the apocalypse, at, you know, whatever, when the zombies show up, whatever you think that looks like, right? <laughs> right? 
This is what it's going to be like. But reality is, Revelation really speaks to what was, what is, and what will be. So when you read it, you should look at it that way. You may even then not just try to look at it just logically in order that way, so just look at it. It's speaking to what was, what is, and what will be. Revelation 1, 19. Write down this, uh, the writer, God, tells John the writer, he says, write down what you have seen, both things that are now happening and the things that will happen. Later on, he'll talk about what was happening. So you're gonna see that all in there. You're gonna find images when you read the book of Revelation, I encourage you to do it. Even at Christmas time, it might be a really interesting read for a lot of you, what you'll kind of glean from it. And you'll find images and symbols and pictures used to disorient our common conceptions and practices. Why? In order to reorient them into a different way of thinking and acting. So when you read, like one of the very popular things that we read in Revelation is the story of the churches. And you read it, and it'll tell you some things that can speak to us as journey, as a church, and how we should consider what we were, what we are, and what we will be, but also look at it personally. Is there anything speaking directly to you that really kind of resonates with you about some practices that need to be reoriented, some concepts, some thinking, some theology that needs to be reoriented back to God? God in the seven churches, for example, will speak directly to that. But we get images of Jesus. We get images, I'm going to read one in just a moment, of heaven or what it's going to be like. We get pictures of, you know, the spiritual battle. And so what do we see? You have a little blank on your notes that we use for our small groups and for you to take home personally. Let me just give you a little list of things and a couple scriptures to talk about what we see. I won't go into them really at all, just to kind of get you rolling a little bit. What do we see in the book of Revelation or this end, you could say, of the story? We see a little bit behind the curtain. You know, a lot of times, man, we wonder what's really going on. And I think one of the things that we see when we read Revelation is we see what was, is, and will be. It's kind of behind the curtain. You want to know what's really going on, the spiritual battle, some of the concepts, ideas, a picture of Jesus, new things, you know, to consider the churches, what God is thinking. Man, look Look at Revelation. Look behind the curtain and see what's going on. We, we get to see God's purposes and plans. So one of the things that we see at the end time, we'll talk about it a little bit in Revelation, is we see the purposes of God, the plans of God, his desire to restore things as they used to be. So part of that is, wow, it's a culmination of all this he's been doing, but he's been doing it from the beginning in this way to restore things. So we see his purposes and plans, a uh, reminder of his covenant, what he promised. We see the spiritual battle going on, and I think that's important for us. We haven't talked about it a lot here at Journey, but one of the things that we need to do personally, and I think as a church, is talk about the spiritual battle that's happening we are not just, the Bible even teaches us this, battling against flesh and blood. So sometimes we think we just need to be in the fight, and that's physically. We do need to stand up for justice. We need to stand for the, the broken, the hurting, the lost, the abused. We need to take a stand that way. 
practically and physically, yes. But also, we cannot forget that behind the curtain, what's going on, and it is revealed even here at this end, but is the beginning, is there is a spiritual battle taking place. There is something much bigger going on. I'm not one that's going to blame everything on the devil. You know? Oh, one of the heaters isn't working right. Yep, Satan. Yeah. That's Satan. I think that if he can only mess with the heat and air, then we're looking pretty good. All right? <laughs> now, could he do that? Sure. He might go, I'm going to mess those people up at Journey today. I think I'll click off half the heat. That'll get them. You know? Now, we see it flushed out when you make church about whether you're warm or cold. That may be something to consider. But we see that there is a spiritual battle, and we should recognize that. That there is something that we battle in the heavenly realms that God is battling, and we join him in that. And then one of the things that we see throughout the end here is we see Jesus. Revelation 1.9, or 1.8, says, I am, this is Jesus, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord our God. I am the one who is, always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. And that is just a small little glimpse of who Jesus is. Read those first chapters. You see a physical picture, almost a spiritual picture, images of who Christ is, this lamb and conquering king, what he's done for us. I like this too. I'm not familiar with the guy, but I read this quote from David Lawrence. And David Lawrence said, we must be careful not to become so concerned with the birthing pangs that we forget about the baby being born. So here's what I mean by that. One of the things, especially when I was growing up in church, is we got more concerned about end times concerning when Christ was coming back, and we forgot that it's who is coming back that is more important. I am one that does not know. I, at one minute, I'm pre-trib. If you don't know what that means, just don't even mess with it right now. And some of you in here are like, oh, I'm leaving this church, <laughs> right? Because you're mid-trib. You're after the trib, and some of you don't even know what trib is, so don't even, right? Good. You're probably better off for it, right? I had to sign a piece of paper as a pastor before I came here that said I would only teach pre-trib. Um, and so we just lied about it and said, okay, right? <laughs> so our integrity's then shot, right? Uh, now, the truth is, I don't know back. The truth is, it seems that it tells me that he can come back today. Be ready. And you know what? 2,000 years ago, a lot of people thought he'd come back right away. And they needed to be ready, he said. Is it going to be 2,000 more years? I have no idea. Every president we think is the Antichrist. So it could be every four years, <laughs> right? And that is, that is the truth, isn't it? I think every single president has been the Antichrist. In some political party, right? Kissinger had a, I think he had a computer the size of this, you know, 50 blocks or something like that. And now we got all that material on my phone. 
So maybe there's something with that too. But we should be most concerned, yes, know the news, look at the times, look at, yes, please. But at the same time, it's more important to me on who's coming back than when he's coming back. That does not take away when he's coming back, and it's great to read the books and study it, and yes, I believe it. The other thing we see in there that you could write down and read later on, we're going to read a picture of this from Revelation 21, 1 through 7. We get a picture. We see what God intended creation to be like. He restores right here. We read a little bit of what it's going to look like. Now, listen, here's another thought. Be more concerned about what it's like, not what it looks like. So sometimes we want to know what heaven's like. So when we go, Jesus says, I am going away, and I'm going to build a whole bunch of mansions for you. And you're going to get rewarded according to your house. You know, you're going to have a style that's going to like, be in conjunction with how much you did for me. Like, we start getting so deep in that. And then I start putting in the context. Like, you guys, a lot of you said I watch Fixer Uppers and all those home shows on there. You start dreaming what your house is going to be like in heaven. Like, actually, you're thinking, I'm going for that ultra 4K HD thing. I'm going to do that in the bathroom and my bedroom and the living room. I'm going to have a hot You know, you start actually building your home that Jesus says he was building for you. And part of me wants to say, I think he can do a way better job. But maybe you don't think he... Like, I didn't even think about this. He was even a carpenter. He must know what he's doing. <laughs> so part of me would go, let's leave that part up to him. But let's read what this looks like. So I still go, well, what's it going to be like? I saw a new heaven and new earth. This comes from God to John to us. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. In the end, when he comes back, when he rebuilds, when he recreates what he intended it to be like, the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Praise God. You know what? Praise God. That and the sea was also gone. What? What about deadliest catch? I, I guess I won't binge watch that one anymore. But the sea's gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home, wow, this is much bigger. God's home is now among his people. It's not even somewhere where I'm waiting to go as much as God is coming. Wow, that's Christmas, huh, to me. This is amazing. He will live with them. What? They will be his people. God himself will be with them. But here's not something that we can totally understand because it's not what it looks like. It's what it's going to feel like, what we're going to experience. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. Now that is home. You cannot build that with wood and stone. All these things are gone. And what does it say? What? Forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down. 
I like that from God. This is important. Write it down. I know you haven't been writing anything else down. This part right here, right? <laughs> For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. That refers back to covenant. Remember, I'm trustworthy and true based upon the whole story, not a little part. Don't look at a little part. Look at the whole. Because he says, trustworthy and true. And he also said, this is in yellow for our, I want this to stick with you. It's what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. It's finished. I am, he repeats again, the Alpha Omega beginning in. To all who are thirsty, I'll give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. Now that is a picture of heaven. Not a hot tub, you know, better car, more rooms. That is something that we can embrace or should embrace. The curse will be crushed. God will dwell with his people personally, as we said way back in our story, and permanently. All the covenants fulfilled, and I love that phrase that Jesus said from the cross, because that's when it really started. It is finished. It's done. It's finished. Remember, though, it's not an escape to but it's God recreating, reconnecting, reestablishing power, authority, renewal, and complete restoration of all things back to wholeness as he intended it to be in the beginning. And so it's a rebeginning. And again, think of what it will be like more than what it will look like. Okay, so here's some practical things to think about. Very broad, big, and vague but uh, some things that we, just are reminders and then some stuff behind it. One, in this, as we finish this up over all these weeks, is we need to learn how to remember the story. Why? Because we are prone to forget, and I am horrible at this. And I forget, and I'm starting to blame it on my age, but that's not the truth, okay? Uh, we are prone to forget. And so we need reminders constantly. We should, as a church every year, in some form, tell you the story of God. Tell you the story of God. I hope that someday somebody goes, I am sick of you teaching us the story of God, and I will go, okay, let's, not, let's talk about the story of God again because we need that. We forget it. I forget it. So we need practical, creative ways to remember the story of God. So here is what you can do. One, we've talked about this in the past. We will continue to do it and practice it and and promote it in the future, and that is, number one, practice personal rhythms. What are some personal rhythms that you can add to your life that you don't already, that won't overwhelm you? Because this is the time of the year when it becomes overwhelming to me. All right, I, how many of you, you did it? You're close. You, you, you're gonna read the Bible in one year. You nailed it, nobody. Okay, good. All right, so one, one two of us, all right? The rest of you tried, and you gave up at Leviticus, and now you've been guilt-ridden for months, right? <laughs> uh, there are so many ways. Don't feel guilty or feel like you have to go from Genesis to Revelation and read the, the word of God every year. Is it good to do? Of course, all right? But some of you, and just go along. Find a creative way to do it. You know, use a devotional, whatever it is, but this is the time of the year when we're thinking about that. What are you gonna do for 2019? How are you gonna engage? Listen, I just want you to know the story of God. 
So maybe you find some creative ways to do that, and we're going to help you with that. But part of that is the personal rhythms that you add into your life personally that has nothing to do with the spouse, your kids, anyone else, the church. It's just you. Reminders of who God is, who we are in him, and how we are to live. Those three things would be key. Something that's going to open up your head, your hands, and your heart to the presence of God. There's many things to do it. It's so easy today with apps. We have an app, and on it is you version, the Bible. It has many things in it. Super easy. Listen to it. If, you, if you're not going, I don't have time to read. Okay, listen on your way to work. Super easy to do. So important and powerful. And what it'll do, it's a formation of our inner world. So what we're doing by doing that is there's outer world elements to it as well, but for this personal rhythm part, there's a formation to our inner world that happens. By immersing ourselves in the story of God, it could be, like for me, one of the things that I need once in a while is solitude. I gotta find a quiet place because I'm not being quiet. I'm not, you know, not thinking, not taking time, maybe in the Sabbath, whatever that looks like for you, a little space that you give yourself. As I told you, the scripture, prayer, spiritual disciplines that we've talked about many times. Hey, even this, um, we didn't read it today in the beginning, but if you just took the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter six, all right, and every day you prayed, just personally, not to do it with people, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. You could put your name to it and forgive our debts as I also have forgiven our debtors, the debtors. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, power, glory forever. What if you just prayed that every day? Jesus said do that. It's a personal rhythm you could add. Don't make it too hard. I think some of it, I make it too hard. So practice personal rhythms, all right? Two, this is important. This is why church is important, that we rehearse the story in community. Church is hard. You don't want to come sometimes. I don't want to come sometimes, all right? Church is hard because you don't like the music, you don't like the pastor, you don't like, you know, or you have a favorite speaker, or this week we did this right, but we did that wrong. You don't like because we might talk about money or we talk about some other sin element or someone didn't greet you, someone didn't do this, I hate them, they look ugly, I don't like his shirt. This is what church turns into sometimes. They didn't decorate enough, I don't like that candle, the green chairs are ugly, you know, whatever it is. The parking lot's too dirty, there's pit potholes in it. Right? I mean, just go down the list of all the things that I complain about every week about the church. <laughs> just making sure you guys listen. That's me, okay? Every week. <laughs> now, I don't know what you complain about, right? But <laughs> that's why one of the things that we do be because we feel that way is we should rehearse the story in community. We're trying to do that. We'll just keep trying to get better at it. So singing, a lot of our songs are going to rehearse the story of God, right? They're going to prayer. We do something that a lot of churches don't do, not because we're better than, 
or we're, it's not a commandment. We do it because it's what we've done and we do it. Now, probably a lot of it out of tradition, but because it's important to us. Every week, even if you're in here and you're not a Christian, you're not required to do this. It may seem weird to you, but every week we go over to a table, we take a little cup of juice that we say represents the blood of Jesus because we read it in scripture. We take a little piece of cracker. We even give gluten-free crackers back there, right? Because why? Because we want you to rehearse the story of God. Sometimes we do it together. Most of the time, we'd let you just do it on your own, and if you want to do it with someone, it's not because we like crackers and juice, okay? <laughs> it's not an attractional thing. Some of you think it's weird. What do they think that's the blood of Jesus? No, we don't think it's the blood of Jesus. <laughs> we think it represents the blood of Jesus, and every week, I need to be reminded, I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. So I drink this juice to say, thank you, Jesus. I take this piece of cracker because it rep represents your body that you gave on the cross for my sin. It's part of the story of God. And every week I take it and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for me. I eat this to remember who you are and what you do. That you remember me, pull me back together to you. So I eat this cracker. And when I eat it, I tell you this a lot. You don't have to do it this way. But I go, I take in you and I give you back me. And I need to do that every week because I seem to run away often from him. So every week when we take communion, we're going to do it in about five, ten minutes here, hopefully. Uh, we rehearse the story of God together. It's important to do. Baptism. We did more baptisms this year than we've done any year in the past. It's a rehearsal of the story of God. The old man and woman is gone, right? Death, burial, resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, that you have done that in the lives of people. So when you baptize it, we are together. We like, if you've noticed, we don't use the hot tub out there. We pull in the, the coffin in here. Why? Because we want to rehearse the story of God and rejoice with you when you do it because it shows us that every time we do it. That's why it's important. It's not because you're dirty and that cleans you. It represents what Jesus has done. The old is gone, the new has come. And we do that in other things. Today begins Advent. So Advent um, often will light candles this year, but we're gonna mention it every week. We're gonna talk about the story of Jesus. Next week, Joseph, then Mary, then, guess what, on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about Jesus. <laughs> no secret there, all right? Uh, and that's the next three weeks. And we will rehearse together, Joseph, uh, Mary, oh, Jesus. We'll talk about the story. We'll do it fun, creative, jingle jam, parts of the story in very goofy, creative, fun ways. We are rehearsing together the story of God. We do that through a Christian calendar, God's calendar. Sometimes we'll use feasts and celebrations and we'll talk about it. All to immerse ourselves in part of the story, reminding of who he is, what he's done for us and who we are in him. All right. When we get all this down, we then participate in the Great Commission. Now, Charles talked about that last week. I don't need to go fully into it again. He did a good job. Go back on our app. We're online. Listen to that again. But we now tell and live the story out in our neighborhood to the people. 
The good, bad, and ugly is presented there, and we see God's redemptive work through the, through the lives that we live. The story of Jesus and how he reshaped our lives, your life. Each week, we do that. We do that in our neighborhoods and small groups. We try to do it in our homes and life together. Man, we are talking about the story of God, and it is not a commandment for missionaries. It's an, listen, the Great Commission is an all call. When you read what Jesus has done for you, and then we are to go and do that, extrovert, introvert, we're all called. Whatever personality type you have, all called. Now, the way it's done is wonderfully creative according to your personality. But it's an all call. So let's find ways to do that. Man, for some of you this week, it will be, this will be like you are a missionary sacrificing your life, man, for him when you just go, would you like to come with me to Jingle Jam? And then you just drop it and run, you know? <laughs> Good. Great. Some of you, the people are going to have to push you away, like, leave me alone. You're a Dutch Bros person, right? Hey, you're hanging out the window. How you doing? Go to Dutch Bros. Battle with them, Right? Yeah, I'll buy a coffee if you come to Jingle Jam or whatever you, whatever you want to do there, right? <laughs> when they go, tell me about your life, what's going on? You go, no, tell me about your life, what's going on, right? And you can, you can work it out because that's your personality. But participate in the Great Commission. Listen, I love this little part here. My hope for the future will shape my mission in the present. So what I think about all this for the future, it shapes my mission in the present. So some of us, we don't have hope in the future. We don't believe what God's word says about the end, beginning. Well, that doesn't offer hope. But what drives me at times to do what I, what I may be uncomfortable in doing at times is that I have hope in the future and that hope drives me to be on mission. It drives me, when I fail, to run back to God and not away from him. And our hope is Jesus. Our hope is Jesus. I'm going to give you a couple more blanks, but skip uh, towards the end here. And I'm going to have the worship team come. Uh, but one of the things that I see in this when we participate in the Great Commission with this hope that drives us on mission. I read this week again, I've heard this in the past and reread again about thin places. Have you ever heard that concept? It's a, it's a Celtic, like comes from Celtic spirituality. Places where heaven and earth touch, places where humans come together in relationships of love and you see a glimpse of God in that. Sometimes the most unlikely of places with the most unlikely of people or even in the most unlikely of situations, sometimes we even see a thin place in a redemptive part of a movie, like the person's rescued and it just really impacts you. They're saved. You know, it's, it's kind of when I think about it, it's what drives us to the end of the story. Like, I got to watch this to see if they save the town, you know? And you see this little redemptive work that you go, ah, the movie wasn't that good or it was a little, little uh, you know, violent or whatever. But man, that one part really just impacted me. Like you leave the movie and you go, I, I could go conquer the world. Let's do this. Those are an example of a thin place, I think, where heaven and earth seem to come together 
And I pray that this week, this month, we have a lot of those thin places with people, the thin place where heaven and earth come together because the story of God is coming together for them. Like, so they see that. Like, this thin place comes and it's hope. Unlikely places where God is at work, where people connect in a way that reflects God in all our brokenness and beauty. Places where, listen, the lines that so often divide us, politics, religion, race, social status, brokenness, color, these might become actual points of connection and understanding rather than division and brokenness. Why? Because all of a sudden we, by living out the story of God, are seeing God and earth, heaven and earth come together to show that redemptive story of Jesus. So instead of the things that divide us, these thin places come together and they pull us together and go, wow, we may not agree, but I recognize God working there and I join him in what he's doing and we begin to talk and dialogue and break down those lines. Stand for the broken and hurting. And they can happen sometimes in the most routine of experiences with the most unexpected people. Tim Keller once said, he's a pastor in New York, he said some form of this where there is more of God's glory per square inch in one Manhattan subway car at rush hour than any solitary experience of nature. So he would say, in this subway car where all this craziness is going on, I see God working. Am I open to that and joining him in what he's already doing? A thin place has happened. So share God's story and share your story. And then repeat again and again. Your last blank is repeat it. I know it's not super profound, but when you do it, just do it again. Whatever that looks like, do it again. All right. So would you stand with me? And uh, I love the end. Revelation 12, 11 shares these words with us as we prepare to talk about the story of God by eating and drinking something and then going out and sharing the story. But Revelation 12, 11 really is an impactful place at the end of Scripture there when it says, they defeated him, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb. There's Jesus, the story. And what? By their testimony. There it is. The story, the story is Jesus. And they defeated him by that. It's a great Scripture. They did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. So it comes with suffering and sacrifice. And it's important because out in this world today, there are people that are yearning, remember in the beginning, for something bigger. They yearn for connection with God. And here's what Jesus says to the church in Revelation. He says, listen, I'm standing at the door and knock, Revelation 3, 20 through 21. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, open the door, I will come in. We'll share a meal together as friends. So this... This year, this day, this Sunday, if you're not a follower of Christ, I want you to know that God, through his story, is knocking on your life that, listen, he's a God of second chance, a God who comes again. The story tells us that what he intended it to be will be again, and we, you have an opportunity to become a friend of God. So my, my thing is open the door to Jesus. 
Open your life to him and just simply say, I surrender to you. I want to follow you. Learn your way. Follow your way. In Jesus' name, amen. My prayer is that you will choose the story of God and that you will come to experience the fullness of life in this new creation. Forgiveness of sins. Return to God from your exile. Partnering with him on his mission to heal and restore shalom to all that is broken and beautiful in this world. Father, today we take a moment to rehearse your story by taking communion together. For those that take it, we say thank you for what you have done. So we drink this juice. We say thank you for giving your body for uh, our sin. And maybe some today, somebody today will open the door and say, come in, Jesus. As they take that bread in, it's come in, Jesus. And now I give myself back to you as you have given for me. That's salvation. So thank you. And we remember you today, Jesus. And in your name we pray, amen.